Breaking, the only Sinatra podcast where you get three songs and two fours on one show. I'm your host, Lawrence. And I'm Luke. And this is Sprinkly Drinking. I'm not the guy who cared about love, and I'm not the guy who cared about fortunes and such. Never cared much. Oh, look at you I never knew the technique of kissing. I never knew the thrill I could get from your touch. Never knew much. Oh, look at you now. You're a new man, better than Casanova at his best. With a new heart, a brand new start. I'm so proud I'm busting my vest. So you're the guy who turned out a lover. Yes, I'm the guy who laughed at those blue diamond rings. One of those things. But look at you now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another fine, fine episode of Frankly Drinking. Like we said earlier, I'm Lawrence. And I'm Luke. And you are listening to Frankly Drinking. That's right. I've been waiting for a while to do this episode because uh, I love this era of Frank's catalog, which is the Tommy Dorsey years, the big band years of Frank Sinatra. Hundreds of songs. I don't even know half of them. (laughs) He was busting out like show tunes a week singing the most popular tunes on the Uh, radio yeah and yet that that number right there is so good yeah oh look at me now um with uh tommy the tommy dorsey orchestra and the pied pipers uh and that was that was you heard connie haynes uh doing that duo uh the duet with frank um connie um from savannah georgia yep um and Frank really uh, they worked pretty well together but she could do some uh things on stage some kind of showboating or you know more theatrical stuff that Frank didn't like right. but as you heard in that performance fantastic great uh, great coordination between the two of them on that well to, we didn't get to the actual Pied Piper's vocals which right. we'll get to later yeah, they come. They're in amazing. Later. They're still going. They st- they're still <laughs> just like the Tommy Dorsey, Dorsey Orchestra. Yeah, the Pied Pipers are still going. Yeah, you can actually see them play. And I mean, it's a collection of uh, centenarians, and they their voices are still pretty good. I yeah. mean, even even over a hundred years old, they're well, they're really no. they're not that bad. There's, there's new members. Whoa, really? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm go to, sorry. Go to their websites. I was thinking the, the Tommy Pied Dorsey Piper. Orchestra, the Pied Pipers. Pied they Pipers. have websites. Yes, yeah. And by the way, Larry, just so we put it on the record here. Yeah. Oh, look at me now. That was written by um, by Joe Bushkin. Uh, he was the pianist with the uh, Tommy Dorsey Orchestra at that time, and I mean, played on a million things. Really great uh, pianist, and he worked. Uh, with the lyricist uh, John DeVries on that. That was a 1941 song arranged by the inimitable Cy Oliver uh, working with Tommy Dorsey on that. And that was 
these guys had the first cut at that song because hey, they they were in the band. The guys writing the song. Yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> and you know, one of the reasons I wanted to play that song was something that meant a lot to me, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. Um, but what what's uh, what's going on since our last episode? You know, there's been no Frank news. What's up with Frank Sinatra uh, news? I mean, Frank Sinatra news should be breaking every week, in my I, opinion. It is. It is. And I mean, for a guy, for a guy who, God bless him, passed 22 years ago That's in right. 1998, um, there is always news. There's always news about Frank. He's always making the news. Yeah. Even even all these years later, which is a testimony to just how incredible of an artist uh, he was. So, um, just a couple things. Um, first of all, um, Elvis Costello, you know, a, a great... Um, Not Elvis Presley. No, the other Elvis. This was, this was the other Elvis, Elvis Costello. Named for Elvis. Came, <laughs> came a few years later than the other Elvis. There was no Elvis before Elvis. Uh, that's right. And, and Elvis Costello name, was asked to name his sort of eight songs, eight recordings he couldn't live without. One of them, not surprisingly to anyone in this audience, I would say, probably, um, is I've Got You Under My Skin, the original you know, recording with uh, Nelson Riddle doing the arrangement and Frank and all that. And um, top yeah, three, if not number one, he yeah, absolutely a great recording, which we've which we've talked about, and I'm sure we will talk about again. But it is it's loved by Elvis Costello. He also mentioned in his top eight. He also mentioned uh, let's see a song by what it was something from the Beatles. Oh, you really got a hold on me. Oh, that's a great one. You really got a hold on me um, by the Beatles and. Um, and a lot of classical tracks kind of rounded out a lot of a lot of his his top eight for um, um, who's his wife the the uh, singer um, you know she does uh, she's a pianist and singer she's great um, oh my gosh I don't know oh uh, Diana Krall oh Diana oh she's, yeah okay yeah, yeah. so sure. the, this top eight from uh, Mister Diana Krall, um, Elvis Costello. Yeah. She's yeah. great in her own right. In her own yeah. way, yeah, and 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 really fantastic. Um, and somebody that if you're in this audience, if you like Frank, you're probably going to like Diana Krall. She's especially on simply Sinatra, seriously Sinatra. Yeah, every day. Yeah, she's uh, she's fantastic. And then um, yeah, the other the other little bit of news, Larry, um, for for this show. Uh, that I just wanted to share was um, from this summer, from from last month. Uh, we're recording this in August, and uh, last month was the 60th anniversary of the debut of the Billboard chart. Billboard ranks them. I'm Casey Kasem, and we're counting down America's. Wait, yeah, the Billboard chart, not Casey Kasem. Well, but he he what he said was. Billboard ranks them. Oh. AT40 counts them down. Like, let's get out of here, Scoob. <laughs> he was also the voice of Shaggy. <laughs> Casey Kasem. Right. But the Billboard chart debuted 60 years ago. Wow. Uh, this summer. 60 years. So let me do the math. Yeah. Hold on. Let me do the math. And that would be 1940. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, wait a minute. I said I said sixty. 
but it has to be 80 because it was 1940. It was 1940. 1940. So the 80th, excuse me, the, the 80th. 80th anniversary. Right. We're up to we're up to 2020 now. So yeah. that was 80 years ago. The 80th birthday of the Billboard chart. Uh, its debut and who was on top of the bill of the very very first Billboard chart? Well, I mean, who who else do you think it's going to be? But Tommy Dorsey and Frank Sinatra and and the song um, "I'll Never Smile Again." So that was that wow. was at the top of the chart. That's a great one. The very first one. I wish we were a regular radio station. We just play the whole thing right now. That's yeah, a great we, one. we'd play them. We'd play them all. We'll we'll come back to that another show because sure. that is a great. That's a great song uh, with a great story. Yeah, yeah. So well, I I love Dorsey, and I, I didn't know a thing obviously about Dorsey at all. Um, I didn't know anything about big band music. I didn't know anything mm. about anything. In your 20s, mm-hmm. you start learning everything. Mm. <laughs> and so in my 20s, I discovered an amazing radio program that was syndicated. Paul, called, Was it Paul Harvey? No. It was <laughs> called Big Band Jump. Oh, okay. And it aired here on Sunday mornings. So I would wake up on Sunday, have a coffee and listen to Big Band Jump. This is a widely syndicated program. For anybody who's listening who knows Big Band Jump, they know how great it was. And in the 1990s, there was not a bunch of uh, pushing of the Big Band sound Yeah. until the cocktail culture kind of came around late 90s. Right. You had a lot of, a lot of stuff that was more of like uh, Big Bad Voodoo Diety and... Um, Brian Setzer Orchestra, right? Yeah, you know, Setzer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there were those bands were playing Back from the Stray Cats. Well, they were yeah. playing. They were playing at the the Super Bowl halftime. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, that's pretty big. Right. So, and that whole scene kind of came back. But all through the nineties, you mm-hmm. could you could rely on this program, Big Band Jump, to play only big band music and mostly vocalist and instrumental band music. Okay. Wow. Um, and it was amazing. So. The host of that show, I want to raise a glass to because he turned okay. 90, 90 years old back in March of this year. Okay. Gentleman right. by the name of Don Kennedy. Okay. So, Don Kennedy, raise a glass to yeah. Don Kennedy. Yeah. Our first pour right here. Yeah. Raise mm. a glass. Here's to you, Don. Don is a great guy. Uh, he was born in Pennsylvania. He, was, he started in radio in the Pennsylvania area, and his claim to fame now is that he, at some point, came down to Atlanta and was the host of the Popeye show on WSB-TV from 1956 to 1970 as Officer Don. What? And so Officer Don <laughs> and the Popeye show was kind of like Captain Kangaroo or any sort of local market TV show aimed at children who ran cartoons. Okay. And so your mother and my parents watched Officer Don. Are you kidding me? No. Really? Your mom actually took the trolley for five cents downtown (laughs) Ah. and watched Officer Don host the Popeye show. 
he he's great. You can find these videos on uh, YouTube. Also, later after Officer Don stopped appearing on the Popeye Show, which ended in 1970, okay, he started WKLS, which became 96 Rock here. Wow. The K in WKLS standing for Kennedy and was a long-standing rock and roll station, very influential, huge radio station for everything Zeppelin and ACDC and rock and roll in the Atlanta market. Uh, Don started the Big Band Jump show in 1986. It was a hugely syndicated show. And later he started the Don Kennedy show, which focused more on instrumentals and vocalists. Don, I reached out to Don. I, I, I've actually met Don and worked with Don yeah. in the past um, through his daughter. And you can, you can join the uh, Officer Don fan club on Facebook. But Don uh, basically loves vocalists. He was not a huge Frank Sinatra fan. Even though he liked vocalists, he, liked, he loved the Pied Pipers. Okay, okay. And so Don's favorite Sinatra song, which I posed to him in an email was what we opened the show with. with oh, the Pied look Pipers. at me now, right. Look at me now with the right. Pied Pipers. Uh, Don, uh, I, I love that guy. He's an amazing. He's, he's done a lot for the Atlanta radio market. He's a Emmy winner and a Georgia Hall of Famer, broadcasting Hall of Famer. Wow. And uh, a great guy. So, Well, I think we should, we have the glass here. Let's just raise it Raise again. another toast? Let's, yeah. Should we toast him again? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Don never drank while he was recording the show, according to. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're shaking that up a little yeah. bit. Don was like, "I never drank when I recorded yeah. the show." So, well, cheers and uh, slanja. Mm. Such a great, great way to kick off this show. Uh, what what was what was uh, what's the history of of Sinatra and Dorsey, for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this is a little bit of... I've got a little personal history wrapped into this, um, Larry. But a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I was in Chicago and I was visiting the Palmer House Hilton. I was doing a little advance work. Um, A lot of my work has been um, in, in leadership communication and speech writing. And I needed to go check out what was happening... Um, at the Palmer House Hilton to see about my boss, my big boss, going there and giving a speech um, in, a few months later. So I kind of needed to go see what the venue was like and what the what what the event was like, what the audience was like, and stuff. For um, it was something like the you know you were exec- scouting it out, yeah, Executives Club of Chicago or you know the one of these business groups in Chicago. So I go. And I go to the Palmer House, and I I have this lunch there in the ballroom at the Palmer House Hilton. And I just, I was thinking, okay, there's all this talk about the pump room in Chicago, because Frank would always do an ad lib about the pump room. That was not at the Hilton. That was not at the Palmer House Hilton. Uh, There was a, there is, there was then, there is now a really cool little um, sort of performance area uh, that's that's kind of a bar performance area that's small within the hotel. Right. Um, that wasn't that that didn't have a Sinatra story that jumped you know to anyone's mind. And I kind of asked, like I was poking around, like, hey, 
What's the? Is there a Sinatra story here? Um, um, yeah, security. We have a man yeah, we got a weird guy and we asking a, about Frank Sinatra. We got a crazy guy here asking about Frank. Um, and I did this again about a year ago. I was there and and I was looking around. But you know what? In in preparing for this show, I found I, f- I found the Frank Sinatra connection to the Palmer House Hilton. Leave it to the internet. And it is, uh, well, and actually books, Larry. Oh, yeah. Books and the internet. I like reading books and the internet. Yes, um, both and. So um, the truth is, the story is that, um, you know, Frank Sinatra was uh, with Harry James. Harry James, uh, the Harry James band, that was that was the first band that Frank was with, the first, uh, you know, big band uh, sound. He auditioned for Harry James what year? Um, mid thirties. Uh, no, a little bit later than that. He okay. was only with Harry James a year and a half. Oh, so or like so. 37, 38. Yeah. Okay. So um, this is December nineteen thirty nine, and Sinatra has just had a disastrous. They've had a disastrous trip with Harry James to the West Coast. They got to the West Coast to a place where they were going to play, and the joint had burned down. Okay, <laughs> literally. That yes, that down. is how bad their trip had been. And they were just, they were barely hanging on. Uh, it, was, it was rough going, even though Harry James was really respected in the music community. People liked him a lot, and, and he was a great band leader. He was also young, like Sinatra. He was about the same age. Uh, he was about the same age as Frank at this time. Um, so we're talking like 25, 26. Because yeah. Frank, Frank would have been, he would have turned um, 24 in December of 1939. Wow. So... Uh, the the but the Dorsey band was in was in Chicago to play, and they were going through the lobby of what hotel? The Palmer, the Palmer House Palmer Hilton. Hilton. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and they heard Sinatra on the radio, and this stopped Dorsey in his tracks. Um, Frank was singing "All or Nothing at All," and. Frank uh, and Dorsey rather had a kind of an interim singer. He had he had had um, a guy named Jack Leonard as a singer, who was a pretty good uh, baritone singer. But that guy had left. He's no Frank. No, he had a guy who was kind of a, a, a just there briefly, but he wasn't excellent. And Dorsey was all about excellence, so. He yeah, heard, Dorsey was a perfectionist. Yes, he he absolutely was. So he said to his manager, uh, Bobby Burns, he said, go over there. The band is playing at uh, the mayor's Christmas party. Harry James's band was playing at the mayor's Christmas party. So uh, Burns goes over there, slips Sinatra a note on a just kind of a rip, ripped little piece of paper, scrap of paper that says, hey... Tommy Dorsey wants to meet with you tomorrow at the at the Palmer House Hilton at wow. two. Um, so this is kind of like you're you're on a you're on you're in double A maybe you're in double A baseball right and the Yankees manager slash owner calls you <laughs> or sends you a slip of paper in this case and so the next day uh, Frank showed up right on time he knew punctuality was important with Dorsey and um, and he showed up and they went uh, he went to Dorsey's suite uh, at the hotel Dorsey said um, 
you know, they, they, they exchanged some pleasantries and um, Frank was pretty nervous, as you might imagine, uh, but incredibly excited. And, and Dorsey was wearing like uh, a, t- a tie and, and dress trousers and, and like a, a smoking jacket, you know, like a silk <laughs> kind of robe over the yeah, top of it. Sure. You, can, you can just imagine. Of course. It's, and the, it's, the, it's the 30s. Yeah. And he had, he had cufflinks that were big square cufflinks that had TD on them. Because, wow. hey, you know, that's, that's what you do. Right. And then he said, uh, Frank, you think you can sing for me? And Frank said, sure. And he said, well, let's go down. Let's go down to the ballroom. And so they wow. went down to that ballroom where where I had gone to that lunch. Yeah. And let me tell you, most ballrooms today are like just big empty boxes, and you or they've you, been renovated. You know, you you dress them up, and they and they they put if you do productions in them, you dress them up, you put a stage, you put lights, you put all this stuff, lasers, and you, lasers, and you turn them into something mildly interesting. But the ballroom at the Palmer House Hilton is magnificent. Yeah. It has all this, this carvings all over the ceiling and, and on the box seats, you know, all around the sides of it. It's just gorgeous. And I just knew some amazing thing happened there. And you know what it was? It was Frank Sinatra who um, auditioned for Tommy Dorsey wow. in that very orchestra. And uh, Tommy said, uh, Frank, do you know uh, Marie? Do you know the song Marie? No. Yeah, he said, do you know Marie? He's singing our next song. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing the... Uh, Sorry. I'm I blowing just, the reveal. I'm, 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 I'm like a fan. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm blowing the reveal on that. But do you know the song? And, and Frank had only heard it about a million times uh, and, and Jack Leonard singing it. And that's what we're going to hear uh, right now is a little bit of Frank Sinatra singing Marie uh, with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Marie, oh Marie, this girl is breaking. Morning, Marie. Girl of my dreams, I want you. I need you to find. Have a little faith Your in heart me. is a tra la 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 and tears. Here I go crying again. Trumpeteer, that's amazing. Uh, Dorsey, Dorsey would have been playing uh, the trombone, the I trombone, believe. Sure. Yeah, the sentimental gentleman of swing, and right. that that did not sound like a trombone, did no. it? No, um, that's a trumpet. <laughs> for the for the musically challenged like me, um, yeah, yeah, that's a trumpet. Even Luke. even I can tell, right? Even I can tell it's not a trombone. <laughs> I don't know who did that uh, nice trumpet solo so there, good. but that was. 
That we're we're starting off tonight with our Discover Frank track. We're doing oh. we're doing Discover Frank early because no one. Well, I I'm not even that familiar with Marie, but we dug it up because hey, that's the song that that Frank auditioned with, and it is doubly the Discover Frank track because it's the way that Frank Sinatra, in a way, was discovered by Tommy Dorsey and auditioned. Uh, for the band, that that song, by the way, was written by Irving Berlin, uh, the the great uh, American songwriter in 1928, and it was in a film called The Awakening back in 28. Oh. Um, it was a hit for Dorsey in 37. Again, as I said, with Jack Leonard doing the vocal, and it was done by a lot of people: Ray Charles, uh, Steve Lawrence, Needy Gourmet, Louis Prima, The Ink Spots, and even even. Uh, Bill Haley and his comments. Yeah, uh, did did Marie and um, uh, you know the guys rock around the clock and all that jazz. Sure. Uh, and you heard that whole um, kind of the call and response of yeah. uh, Frank and the uh, guys in the band singing uh, back to him. And you know that is a that is one of the hallmarks of of this kind of music that big band uh, big band swing. Uh, type music, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's still a lot going, a lot of energy, a lot of energy, yeah. lot of energy in that yep. one, um, and and a great a great song. And by the way, as soon as Frank started singing that song, Dorsey knew this is the guy. Like he he even he smiled. Like Frank started out a little nervous. As soon as he started singing, Dorsey smiled at him, and and sort of the ice broke a little bit more. I mean, Dorsey had been nice to him upstairs, but. He could. Frank knew that he was in. He knew he was in. He sang even better, and that's when Dorsey said, "Want you to join the band?" You know, right after this. Right after. Well, this. this I mean, this changed his life. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's it's amazing. So basically, what's what's going on in America at this point mm-hmm. is we're on the cusp of war. Yeah. And. What year did did Frank join the band? It, this was December of 1939. So he did a couple more couple more dates to finish out things, um, you know, uh, with his with the previous band, um, and then by January of '40, he was uh, he was with Tommy Dorsey, and and then the rest is history. So we're gonna fast forward to yeah. December of 1941. Okay. When the U.S. enters World War II, yeah, yeah, because uh, at this point, uh, England and Europe are engulfed in war, right? And the U.S. has not been pulled into it yet. Mm-hmm. So now, Europe is uh, being asked to sacrifice uh, things in their daily lives to support the war effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, England does not shut down whiskey production they need the money okay okay to to basically keep their operations going sure to supply the other half of their business to support the war production so they're exporting scotch and whiskey to the united states of america the u.s however in 1941 because of pearl harbor gets pulled into the war effort right and they instantly have to start making decisions to support the war effort. So grain rationing to feed the troops, breads. Sure. Everything corn. Yeah. But whiskey production is turned into high proof whiskey production, 
180 proof ethanol to make torpedo fuel. Wow. Okay. And other alcohols used to make rubber. <laughs> yeah. Rubber production needs alcohol. Yeah. So basically, 180 proof ethanol is going into torpedoes. Yeah. Yeah. No whiskey is being produced for the United States of America mm. at this point. Mm. So you have got you got stories about sailors, mostly naval, of course, because of torpedoes. They're making torpedo juice, which is basically uh, uh, pineapple juice and 100 pre, 180 proof ethanol yeah. concoctions on the submarines. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. And they're okay. cutting it. They're cutting it certain ways to keep drinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're what, are they they draining it out of the torpedoes and putting it they're, in the glass. They're ladling it out of the torpedoes. Wow! And then they call, then of course the military catches on to this. The navy okay. catches on, and so they start putting poisons oh, into geez. the okay. into the ethanol. Yikes! But then these guys still ladle it out, and they filter it through bread. They filter it through white bread. Really? To get the pure alcohol. So they were finding ways around, oh, but they, people were still getting sick. American ingenuity. American ingenuity. At its finest. But the Navy was drunk, <laughs> evidently. But what that left on the home turf yeah. is a there was no whiskey. So yeah. you've got you've got rum as the only option for the Amer- the American states to drink during the war effort. So rum was readily available. Rum obviously distilled from sugarcane or molasses. Yeah, yeah. So rum from South America and Central America would come up to the States, and that was what people drank in the 1940s. So, Luke, you are drinking 105-proof rum. American rum produced right here in America. Wow. We toasted at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Now we're drinking a whiskey drinker's rum. Oh, man. What is, what is this stuff? This is single estate rum. The only single estate rum in the United States of America produced right here in Richland, Georgia. Mm. This is Richland rum. Four years old. 105 proof. Deliciousness. You got to be kidding. I mean, guys, if you when you try when you try this Richland rum, it tastes like bourbon. Right. So I, I'm not sure where Richland's getting their barrels from mm-hmm. to age this, but they have a sugar cane that they've imported and planted in Richland. The owner is the former uh, CEO of, of Ronstadt Staffing. Oh, okay. So he's Dutch. I believe where well, he ran a Dutch company. Right. And so he moved down to South Georgia, began a rum company, moved downtown Richland, Georgia, to help the economy rescued this town of Richland, which was basically broke. And it's producing the finest rum in America. I've had a lot of rum. I love a lot of South American rums, Central American rums. This rum tastes the closest to whiskey that I've had outside of a a company called Foursquare, which is blending rums. Yeah. uh, From Guyana and other (laughs) countries. This is Georgian rum. It comes in 86 proof. It comes in a... a, uh, a white rum and it comes in a cast drink we're drinking the cast drink tonight oh man this is i gotta say this is really good really good rum i and i'm i'm not a rum connoisseur and there is a little 
I'm just noticing there is a little bit of a it does the after the aftertaste the um the char you know on on your tongue yeah. you you can tell a little bit in that 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 it's not that it's not corn whiskey but my goodness this stuff this stuff tastes so good it you, is it's remarkable it's remarkable and you know there's there's a lot of rums that are just cheap they you know they make it from molasses this there's a different process where you squeeze uh fresh fresh sugar cane uh to make the the, the product but this is actually using techniques uh, that go back ages to make this rum. All it is is water and sugar cane and the aging in a barrel. And what you're getting is very close to a bourbon. Uh, it's aged here in Georgia. Um, it's a fantastic product. You know, in the 40s, they were drinking a lot of daiquiris. The daiquiri is the most popular drink around this time of Frank's career. Oh, okay. So the daiquiri, you know, if you want to make a daiquiri at home, yeah. go buy some Richland rum. Yeah. Uh, some white rum. It's very cheap. It uh, is. Yes. But not this stuff. Yeah. The cask, yes. the cask strength Oh, is... no, the, ca- the cask strength is more expensive, but you, right. w- you wouldn't make a daiquiri with cask no, strength. No, no, no. Right? You want to sip this. No, you, you want to make it with white rum. Sip and savor So this. a daiquiri is just two ounces of okay. white rum, three quarter ounces of fresh lime juice squeezed, and one and a half ounces of simple syrup. Uh, and you put that in a cocktail shaker with ice. Yeah. Shake it up and just strain it and put a lime wedge on, a, a coupe glass. And you've got a 1940s daiquiri, which you can listen to some Sinatra and Tommy Dorsey. You'll be you'll be there, basically. That's right. With your beverage. And none of that none of that junk pumped out of a frozen no. you know, slushy machine. No. None of that junk. No. No. No, this is this is an actual daiquiri. This is the kind of daiquiri that like Hemingway would have would have enjoyed, right? I mean that whole. It's funny you bring that up because yeah. Hemingway has his own recipe. Oh, really? That's right. So <laughs> Hemingway's who daiquiri. Would've, who would have thunk it? I mean, a, a big bottle man like uh, Hemingway, he he probably did have his own recipe. That's right. Ernest what? Ernest poured a two ounce white rum. Okay. Three quarter ounce, three quarter ounce fresh lime. Okay. One half ounce fresh grapefruit juice. Ooh. And half an ounce of Luxardo Maraschino liqueur. Ah. If you don't have a bottle of Luxardo lying around, you should have that. <laughs> but basically, that was his choice. Uh, same same process. Uh, shake it, strain into a chilled old-fashioned glass versus a coupe. Yeah. With uh, crushed or pebble ice garnish with a lime wheel. That's Hemingway's. Well, I, Larry, I think we're getting close to the break. So I'm going to introduce the... I need uh, a break. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to introduce this uh the next song that we're going to hear during the break. This this song was written uh in 1938, music by Sammy Fain and lyrics by Irving Cahal and it debuted in in a Broadway musical called Right This Way. And if you haven't heard of the Broadway musical Right This Way, um there's a good reason for that because it only it closed after 15 shows. Wow. Um, and this song really, really could have been forgotten. Um, but World War II came along um, and it was not forgotten because it was such a perfect song uh, for the moment. Uh, the, the song, um, like the show, ironically, kind of from a World War II perspective, was set in Paris. Uh, but few people ever recorded um, 
the the verse which was was about Paris. It was it was recorded first by Dick Todd in 1940. Uh, the Frank Sinatra version, uh, which we're going to hear, was recorded in 1940 uh, with Dorsey, uh, but it wasn't released uh, tellingly until later, uh, not until 1944, um, after Frank had left the band in 1942. So um, Crosby was the one who had the big, the really big hit with this in 1944. Uh, not a big surprise, and um, but when that when when Bing had the hit, Dorsey was like, "Wait a minute, we have we have that one from Frank doing it a few years ago. Let's put that out." And so uh, that's what they did, and it did pretty well. Um, it was also recorded by um, by people like Jimmy Durante, Joe Stafford, love that Durante version, Rosemary Clooney, yep, um, among others. And um, interestingly, Larry, kind of a, a little bit of trivia here. Um, Billy Holiday's recording, also from 1944, uh, was the last transmission to the Mars rover um, uh, opportunity when it uh, wound down things in uh, February of 2019. Not that, not that the robot could hear it, but, but anyway, uh, NASA sent that. Goodbye. NASA sent that to her, to to her, the the little Mars rover out there. So let's um, let's let's go ahead and uh, and we'll go to the break, Larry. Let's listen to "I'll Be Seeing You" by Frank Sinatra and Tommy Dorsey. That this heart and mind embraces all day through In that small cafe The park across the way The children's carousel The chestnut trees The wishing well You're the top Fitzgerald fiction, you're the top. Your old blue eyes diction, you're the warming sun of a Palm Springs winter day. You're a Nelson chart, you're Dorsey's art, you're Ava's smile. You're the top. You're an Oscar winner. You're the top. You're a Patsy's dinner, you're a bluegrass rick house printing with the scent of angel share you're the basic band the vegas sands van Heusen and con you're the top you're frankly drinking you're the top suntans ivory tinkling you're luxardo cherry Manhattan of double rye You're the chairman's rap pack A capital hat rack You're Daniel's jack Dooby-doo Dooby-dooby Dooby I'll be seeing you In every lovely summer's day In everything that's light and gay I'll always think of you that way I'll find you in the morning sun And when the night is new 
I'll be looking at the moon, but I'll be seeing you. It does not really get any better than that. <laughs> I mean, these folks, they didn't have internet, clearly. They didn't have anything to distract them except for maybe booze and their significant others and life's hardships. <laughs> and yet they turned it into the most magical you know, compositions and arrangements and performances. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. These are amazing songs. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. And Frank, Frank loved that song. He, he loved oh, I'll Be Seeing You. So he, good. This is, this is interesting, Larry. He did, um, he recorded I'll Be Seeing You um, two times in one year. In 1961, he recorded it for, um, he, he did a swinging version for I Remember Tommy. Uh, LP. Yeah. The I Remember Tommy album, which was a tribute to Tommy Dorsey. We'll Who talk died about way too young. Yes. Um, and that one has an amazing swinging version of this by Cy Oliver that is just absolutely killer. And then there's the same year on Point of No Return, which was um, which was one of the final Capital albums, if I'm not mistaken. I'm Concept. Final yeah. concept record. Yeah, yeah. One of the final. The, the last. Oh, was it? It was the last concept The last record. one no. uh, on the Capitol label. Because Frank had formed his his new uh, record company, Reprise, but he was still fulfilling his obligations to Capitol and recording for both uh, labels at the same time. So he does this. He does a swinging version for I Remember Tommy. Then he, at the same year, does Point of No Return, which is one of those, you know, tear in your beer, tear in your bourbon kind of records. Great record. And he does a ballad version uh, by Axel Stordahl, an arrangement by Axel oh, Stordahl. Stordahl. So, I mean, so good. We, yeah. could, we could have done a whole show on, on you know, I'll Be Seeing You um, because there's just so many great, distinct Sinatra versions of the same great song. So anyway, yeah. So good. Just brilliant. That, I mean that that, that, version. that song is yeah. I mean, we should have ended with that in a way because it's sentimental. Well but at the same time, it's it's so it's so great. You know, just that kind of trot rhythm mm-hmm. that's in there. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. Great orchestration and uh, an amazing performance by by Tommy Dorsey, the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, and Frank on uh, "I'll Be Seeing You" for sure. And a lot, a lot of signaling of the end of things because basically Frank was only with Dorsey for a few years, yeah, and um, then left left the band, yeah. At some what, what year? Yeah, did he leave? by 1942. Yeah, so, so only a couple years. So forty-two, Frank left to start his own solo career. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things changing. So the the war efforts going on. There's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of change at Jack Daniels. Yeah, because in 1941, mm-hmm. Jack Daniels was passed to the next master distiller. So seriously, in yes. 1941, 1941, there was a new master distiller. And why do you think that was? 
Well, maybe the other master distiller got drafted into the army. <laughs> well, that would would be a good guess, but no. So so Jack, okay, who learned uh, a lot of his distilling techniques from Forrest Green, from Uncle Nearest. Uh huh. Basically, uh, in 1911, passed the distilling to a man by the name of Lim Motlow, who was Jack's nephew. Uh, Jack Daniels did not have a son okay. or daughter to pass the business on to, so he passed it on to his nephew, yeah. Lim Motlow. Lim Motlow then took up the reins from 1911 to 1941. The toughest years, because of Prohibition, Yeah, they had to stop down. Right, right. And then the war effort. Yeah. So in 1941, by 1941, the war effort was in full swing. Mm-hmm. So the distillery was not operating. Mm. Okay. So he took up the trade of mules. What? <laughs> the, the, the guy who had basically inherited the whole operation from Jackie D, the original Jackie D, his uncle... He went into the mule business. He went into the mule business. The mule business. Now, okay. now, in all fairness here, let's be historically accurate, he had okay. a stroke in 1940. Okay, okay. And he passed away in 1947. Hmm. But he passed the distillery, the master distillery uh, claim to his uh, nephew, Jack's great nephew, Lim Tolly. And Lim Tolly ran the distillery until 1964. The Motlow family sold to Brown Foreman in 1956. So there was a lot of change going on Jack Daniels yeah, during this yeah, time. Yeah. And so, you know, because of the war effort, I think the timing with his stroke and with the passing of the business uh, to, or the passing of the, the distilling to his, uh, his nephew, um, it was an interesting time in Jack Daniels history. So, for the Jack Daniels pour, I selected the Jess Motlow Special Edition Master Distillers bottle, which Jack produced a couple years ago. Wow, really? Yes, in his honor. Now, this now, okay. now Jess, you know, no offense to the Motlow family. Yeah. There was some controversy there uh, that I won't get into. But, okay. But the man, in all respect to his business acumen, the man had to take it through prohibition and the beginning of the war effort. He then again passed to Lim Tolly, who took the the distillery up to 1964. Okay. But this is a 86 proof special bottling to honor his legacy with the distillery and keeping the business going through those years. It's got to be very hard to follow up somebody who starts something that's so impactful. Yeah. And for, you know, for Jack Daniel to to basically uh, become ill and mm-hmm. pass on his legacy to mm. family, mm-hmm. his nephew, uh, you know, this is kind of, I think, a great pour to sit back and enjoy a, a higher proof Jack Daniels from. So um, we've got it. We have an, we have another song um, that we want to share with you. The um, 
as I mentioned earlier, Frank did a record, uh, uh, an LP called I Remember Tommy. And um, that that record was done um, in in the 1960s and in, in, in 1961. Um, and we're going to hear a song called The One I Love. This this version of The One I Love has parentheses that follow that that say belongs to somebody else. So the one I love belongs to somebody else. Uh, it was written by Isham Jones, words by Gus Khan, and published in 1924. Um, early on, it was done by uh, Isham Jones and his orchestra. It was done by Al Jolson, Sophie Tucker, uh, and, and later it was done by Bing, Ella Fitzgerald, um, and, and many others, including uh, Jack Jones and, and Dean Martin. Frank's first version was done with Dorsey and recorded in 1940. He recorded it again in 1959 for the No One Cares album uh, on Capitol. And that version uh, went unreleased for a long time. Um, I remember The I Remember Tommy version was done in 61 with a swinging orchestration by Cy Oliver. And uh, he was an arranger amazing um, uh, arranger who worked with Tommy and Frank back in the 40s. Um, just a, a, a great arranger and someone that, that Frank really relied on and, and he got him back to do that that I Remember Tommy uh, tribute album. Wow. You could, he didn't want to make it without Cy Oliver and Cy Oliver came back. He did uh, the orchestrations, some really crazy swinging orchestrations on that record. It's a great record. And um, on this track, uh, amazing, another thing here, I mean, you learn something new every day about Frank, and I learned this today because I had to look it up. I didn't know who was singing um, the the sort of band part. This has a little bit of that call, call and response, yeah. um, like the earlier big band songs we were listening to. And it is none other than Cy Oliver who is wow. doing uh, the, the counterpoint vocal with Frank on, on, on this song. So let's listen to this, uh, Larry. It, this is called The One I Love Belongs to Somebody Else. Yes, the one I love belongs to somebody else. And like the bear, you ain't nowhere, that's why. She sings her songs to somebody else Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And even when I have my arms around her Well, Dad, you know The thoughts are for somebody else And when I hold her hand, you know They belong to someone Somebody else And you can bet They're not so cold To somebody else Well, it's tough to be Alone on a shelf And it's worse to be Loved by yourself Like when the one you love Belongs to somebody else Oh 
Cy Oliver <laughs> needs his own documentary. He needs, his own, he needs his own thing. He he really he really does. It's, he really it's does. S Y S Y Cy. Yeah yeah S Y wow. Cy Oliver Cy Cy Oliver Olivier and so many. I mean you know it's funny you think that you think that and of course obviously crazy challenges for for black people at that time horrible tough challenges and and worse but there were musicians there were people of decency and class and 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 just you know good people who were like you know what we are we want to work with the best people and Cy Oliver oh my gosh one of the very best people good grief that was that was amazing. amazing. I love I love that performance by uh, by Frank with an orchestration by by Cy Oliver and um, really the whole the whole Dorsey or, uh, era. It was a, it was a fertile period for Frank. Frank Frank was a guy who you know he he did look out for himself and he knew what he needed at a certain point in his career. It w- he was really fortunate to get on with Dorsey. Dorsey, like I said, was the New York Yankees. And then, you know, a couple of years later, Frank turned around and said, bye guys, I, I got to go out on my own. You yeah. Know, I got to be, a, I got to be a solo artist. And, um, well, he knew after a couple of hits, he knew he, he, he did. He, he knew. And, um, a lot of great things though, as far as the Dorsey orchestra, I mean, just a couple of the songs that, that Frank would continue to sing, um, came out of that time like Imagination, um, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Um, you know, Everything Happens to Me. That came from Dorsey. Um, and, you know, The Song Is You. Well, he learned he learned so much about how to control his breathing and song. Yeah. And so much about his breathing and so much about the way he pronounced his words and the, the breath control from Dorsey's playing, right? Yes, yes. Dorsey, Dorsey had a way of elongating um, his um, the notes and, and conserving his voice. And then because he could put his hand up by the, uh, you know, by the mouthpiece on the trombone, he could kind of sneak a little air um, and continue to do a really long note and just keep going. And no one would ever know that Dorsey took a breath. Now, Frank didn't have that as a, you know, he couldn't do that because he was singing, obviously, and he didn't have anything in front of his mouth. But he did learn a lot about phrasing, especially about long phrases. Um, and that was a thing that, that, that Sinatra was incredibly famous for and did, did unlike anyone else in in pop music um, at the time and really since. I mean, so. Amazing. What uh, what can you say? In, um, you know, what a couple more that they did back in that time, Larry? Violets for your furs? I, I mean, think I about love that, that one. I mean, guess I'll hang my tears out to dry. That's a great one. Be careful, it's my heart. You know that one. Uh, you know. I do. Uh, sure. Be careful, it's my heart, doo-doo. You know, <laughs> it's not my watch, it's not my book, it's not this, it's not that. It's my heart. Be careful, it's my heart. Anyway, I won't sing on the next show, I promise. But, um, so, well, I, we, yeah, we really, uh, we really appreciate 
everyone listening to Frankly Drinking. <laughs> we we want to ask you to you know share it with your friends, share it with your family, uh, put it on the interwebs. Um, on that social media, put it on Twitter. I mean, we need to be on Twitter. I'd like to see some tweets. I mean, about frankly drinking. Tommy I don't Dorsey tweet. Dorsey needs to be on Twitter. I it's, Dorsey needs to be on Twitter. Sinatra, Cy Oliver. I mean, they all should be on Twitter. And uh, anyway, if you're so inclined, uh, please share us. Please share us with your friends, and and we do really appreciate you. And Larry, I want to say I appreciate you for coming up with this crazy rum from Georgia that was ridiculous. This this episode... <laughs> all I'm going to say is this episode is amazing because we flipped the, the script a little bit. Yeah. And frankly, drinking is you know, not, necessarily, not necessarily about just whiskey. Yeah. It's about American uh, spirits and um, history and just learning something and just having fun. And what I love about Dorsey is that it just makes you feel good. Mm. Frank and Dorsey, even yeah. better. Yeah. And we really appreciate everybody who, lis- who listens to this show. Uh, just like us on, uh, on Apple Podcasts. Give us some good reviews. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Luke. And you've been listening to Frankly Drinking. So he's the guy. Turned out a lover, so he's the guy who laughed at those blue diamond rings. One of those things, but look at me now. He's a new man, better than Casanova. At his best, he's got some new job and it's really fun. Why I'm so proud, I'm busting my vest. He's a lover. Yes, we know he's a lover. Yes. I laughed at those blue diamond rings. Just one of those things. But look at him now. Jack, I'm ready. Look at him now.